So, so today, uh, we're, we're going through the Gospel of John together as a church, and we haven't been through it for a few weeks, uh, but we're returning to it now. So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 21 to 13. I'm going to ask uh, Mustafa, could you come up please, mate? Uh, so we are going to read it in English, but uh, before we do, Mustafa is going to read it um, in Persian. We've got a number of uh, lads that don't speak English as their first language. Uh, they're still learning, um, and I think it's important that they hear the Word of God in their language, that they're able to hear it. Uh, so Mustafa is going to read it for us in Persian, and then I'm going to read it in English. So. I'll just clip that onto you, mate. Here we go. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Morning, everyone. Isa pas az anke in ra gofd dar ruh mustareb shod va ashkar elam dasht. Amin, amin. Be shama mi guiam. Yeki az shama mera taslim dushman khayat kard. Shagirdan be yek tigar negariste dar shagift budan ke in ra dar vari ke mi guiat. Yeki az shagirdan ke Isa dostesh mi dasht nazik be sine u tekiye zade bud. شمعون پتروس با اشاره از او خواست تا از ایسا بپرسد منظورش کیست پس او کمی به عقب متمایل شد و بر سینه ایسا تکیه زد و پرسید سر بر من او کیست ایسا پاسخ داد همان که این تکه نان را پس از فرو بردن در کاسه به او میدهم آنگاه تکه این نان در کاسه فرو برد و آن را به یهودا پسر شمعون اسخریوتی داد یهودا چون لغمه را گرفت در دم شیطان به درون او رفت آنگاه ایسا به او گفت آنچه در پی انجام آنی زودتر به انجام رسان اما هیچ یک از کسانی که بر سر سفره نشسته بودند منتظر ایسا منظور ایسا را در نیافتند بعضی گمان بردند که چون یهودا مسئول دخل و خرج است ایسا به او میگوید که آنچه برای عید لازم است بخرد یا آنکه چیزی به فقرا بدهد پس از گرفتن لغمه یهودا بیدرنگ بیرون رفت و شب Cheers, mate. Thank you, Mustafa. So I'm now going to read. Um, God has given me the gift of interpretation. So I'm now going to interpret what he said. And uh, say what he said in English. So um, we're, we're going through John 13, and we're going through verses 21 to 30. This is God's word. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should go and give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. 
and it was night. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Father, I ask that you would teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you give me the words to say? Lord, would you empower me to do this? And Lord, would you give us hearts to hear and to listen and to learn? Lord, we want your name to be magnified. Lord, I want your name to be glorified. It's my prayer, Lord, that you would draw us closer to you today, that we might fall more in love with you, and that we might leave here to live and work for your glory, Lord. Lord, would you speak to us all individually? Lord, wherever we are at, whatever troubles we bring, Lord, would you, I trust, Lord, that you know them. And I ask, Lord, that you would minister to us. Because, Lord, we need you and only you. You are our God, the one true God. And, Lord, we wish to learn at your feet today. Teach us, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, we, it's been a few weeks since we've been uh, in John's Gospel. So, I want to jog our memories a little bit. So, this is a Q&A. I will, I will ask the Q. I, I need an A from you guys. Okay, so, quick one. Can you remind me what feast is taking place during this, during this scene that we've just heard? Anyone, what feast is taking place? Passover, thank you, Deepak. So people have come from all over to celebrate Passover. Passover was mandatory for the Jews to celebrate. And it was remembering the time where God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. It was a wonderful miracle. It was a wonderful time where God showed his faithfulness to the people of Israel, to his chosen people. And so they would share a Passover meal. Now if you remember, God he instructed the Israelites... You need to sacrifice a lamb and you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to put it over the frame of your door because I am sending the angel of death. I am sending my wrath upon these people because they have not listened to me. They have not let my people go. So I'm sending my wrath. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every person who does not have the blood of the lamb over their door. So the people of God were instructed to do this and they did so. They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood over the doorframe and the angel of death came by night and it passed over the houses that had the blood above their door. That's why we call it Passover. And so they would every year have this celebration to remember God's faithfulness to them. And as we're reading this story, as Jesus is having this Passover meal I want you to know and understand that there's no coincidence that Jesus dies during the Passover feast. Jesus chooses this time to die. We're going to see in this text, Jesus is in complete control. And he chooses this time to die so that they would know that he is the Passover lamb. So when Jesus' blood is spilled, for those of us that put our faith in him, we are covered by his blood. So in the end, when God's wrath is poured out on sin, we'll be passed over. So it's, it's wonderful. You see the, the divine sovereignty of Jesus all over this. When you understand, ah, that's why he died then. 
That's why you, because you remember the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they didn't want to kill Jesus during Passover. They said it themselves. We don't want to do it because we don't want the uproar. Jesus is in control. He is our Passover lamb. So they're having this Passover meal together. We've just read about it. A few weeks ago, Jesus, um, Stephen, he preached and he, he taught about a specific act that went on during that meal. Can anybody tell me what, what happened? Can anybody remember what we looked at? Washing the feet. So they're reclined at table. Their feet are dirty. Jesus, the host of the meal, assumes the role of a servant and washes their feet. And he teaches them, I'm your master. If I wash the feet, if I came to serve and not to be served, then you, my students, should do the same. And so, when we come now to verse 21, when it says, after saying these things, this is after Jesus has just taught them about the washing of feet. Now, I've uh, got a, a slide. Um, and it's a very famous picture. H hands up if you've seen this picture before. Hands up. Most of us, yeah, I had this in, my parents had this in their house growing up. All right, this is the most famous depiction of the Last Supper in history. The most famous, and I have to say, it's a beautiful painting. Beautiful painting. Now, I've seen the Titanic, right? And I knew Leonardo could sketch, but I didn't know he could paint. <laughs> Guys, I do, I do know that it weren't. You trust me, yeah, I didn't, I know Leonardo DiCaprio didn't. It's Leonardo da Vinci, all right. This was done in the late 1400s. Now, it's, it's wonderful, it looks great, but it's historically inaccurate. It's historically inaccurate. They wouldn't have been seated like that. Uh, so I've got another picture, which, advanced warning, is very pixelated, but it is the best one I could find on Google to truly show you how they would have reclined at the table. It's very specific here. It says that they reclined. In those days, during the Passover, this is how they would have eaten. The, the table would have been very low down to the ground. In, in some cultures, they still eat like this. Yeah? Very low to the ground. They would have been lying on their side, leaning on their left arm and eating with their right hand. Okay, now if you can see, you can see their feet are laid out behind them. It makes complete sense because this is how Jesus would have been able to go around and wash their feet. So here we have a... It will help you visualize it. This is what it was like. Now, who are the main players in our text today? Who are the, 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 we know the disciples that are there, but there are five people. We have Jesus. We have Judas. We have Simon Peter. We have Satan. Satan is there, often overlooked. Satan is there, enters into Judas, it says. And finally, in verse 23, we have the disciple whom Jesus loved. But it doesn't say who it is. Now I'm going to assert before you this morning that it's, we think it's John. Now the reason we think it's John, uh, if we, well let me read the verse first. In verse 23 it says, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Who is this disciple whom Jesus, Jesus loved? If we go to the end of John's Gospel... It says in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. What? This phrase has come up again. 
In John's gospel, it has never come up before this point. But now at this point, it comes up six times. And we see, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. The disciple who was by Jesus' side is the one whom Jesus loved. It is he who was, who was, was bearing witness about the things that he'd seen and he has written it down. It's called John's Gospel. Therefore, we put two and two together. This is John. Now, the reason I wanted to draw that out this morning is because I think that's really important for us to understand. This is an eyewitness account. This is a true story. This isn't a work of fiction. This isn't a nice fable. This isn't a nice moral story. This actually happens. And in John's gospel, we get to hear and see things that so many other gospels don't really have. Because at this meal, only John knows what Jesus said to him. None of the disciples heard or knew. But we get to be teleported and transported into that and we get to see it firsthand. Now this morning there are three things I want us to see in this passage. The first thing we can see is the sovereignty of Jesus. We can go to the next slide. The sovereignty of Jesus. The next thing we're also going to see is the love of Christ. And finally, I do want us to learn from Judas, because we can learn. So let's begin with the sovereignty of Jesus. Let's, let's see the sovereignty of Christ in these texts. Verse 21, we begin. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We're going to come back to that, because that's important, that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He was troubled and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Why does Jesus say this? Why, why does Jesus announce this? I know one of you is going to betray me. Why does he announce it before it happens? Well, he tells us in verse 18 and 19, which comes before, Jesus says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus is telling us, he knows in advance that Judas is going to betray him. And he's telling them so that when it does happen, they'll believe that he is who? That he is God. He is the one who knows all things. He is the one who knows what will come to pass? He is the one who is in complete and utter control. And I'm telling you this now, so that when it does happen, you'll know who I am. See, the beginning of chapter 13, in verse 3, it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. All things. Jesus knew that all things had been given into his hands. Jesus was in complete control. You know, when we think about the, the betrayal of Judas, 
when we think about the denial of Peter, when we think about the, the high priests and the Romans killing him when he did, it can appear that Jesus is out of control. That there are all these other players making decisions that Jesus is at their whim, but no, he's not at their mercy. Jesus is in control. Jesus knows that all things have been given to him. And we see in this text, Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is in control. You know, when Jesus chose his disciples, he says he knew that one of them among them was a devil. You don't have to turn to it. I'll, I'll read it. John chapter 6, verse 70, he says, Then Jesus replied to, to Peter and the disciples, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Have I not chosen you? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to, to betray him. Jesus knew. Jesus knew Judas' heart when he called him. It says, so Jesus has predicted it. It's going to happen. John leans in and says, well, who's it going to be, Lord? And he says, it's the one who I give this morsel of bread. It says that after he had taken the morsel, in verse 27, after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Satan enters into Judas. Is, is Satan now in control? Well, no. That's what I want us to see in this text. No, he is not. Because it is Jesus that commands Judas Go now. Go now and what you're about to do, do it quickly. I want us to take courage this morning. We can take courage from this. Because whilst there are forces of evil at work, yes, they are at work in and around us. Our Lord Jesus is still in control. The temptation you fight against daily, do not be discouraged. Your Lord Jesus is in control. The persecution you face, and we're going to face it. Me and Bill, have, we've just started speaking about it. Okay, like, you're going to be persecuted because of your faith. Our, our brothers from Iran know this. You will be. Take courage. Jesus is in control. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to... Sorry, verse 28, it says, And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things. That includes the powers of evil. God is over that. Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. Do you know that? It, it might seem bizarre. That God would be in control even of these, that whilst these evil forces are at work. But in Proverbs 16 verse 4 it says this, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The Lord made everything. He makes, he's made all things for its purpose. Even the wicked for its day of trouble. The Lord is in control over your life. 
That's our Lord. That's our Savior. The one who, even when Satan enters into Judas, he's the master. Go, he says, and do what you're going to do quickly. There we see the sovereignty of Christ. We also see the love of Christ. After saying these things, it says Jesus was troubled in his spirit. See this word troubled, we see it earlier on in the Gospel of John. When Jesus heals a man by the pool. Do you remember that story? And they would wait for the pool to be stirred up, it said. They believed that when it was stirred up, some angelic force was there. And if they got in the water, it would heal them. That word stirred up is the same word we have here. He was troubled in his spirit. You imagine the water was calm. And then it would stir up and get choppy and agitated. That's how Jesus felt within. He was anxious. He was unsettled in his spirit. But this, this unrest that Jesus experienced, it was a holy unrest. It's not the same unrest that we sometimes get when we don't believe. We, we, we're going to look at it in a few weeks, but Jesus begins chapter 14 by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. So we, we, can, we can have our hearts troubled. I have my heart troubled and it, and it stems from unbelief. This isn't that. This is a holy unrest. His heart is troubled because this Judas whom he loves is about to take his final steps into complete and utter darkness. How does our section end? In verse 30, it says, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. John's not telling us what time of day it is, just for no reason. Judas is entering into complete and utter darkness. And our Lord Jesus' heart was troubled because he loved Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Didn't leave him out of that. He washed his feet. The one who he knew he would betray him. And he washed his feet. He took the posture of a servant, got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of a man he knew would betray him. That's our Lord. It says he gave him the morsel of bread. I, I hear that it's tradition in that culture. The, the one to whom you give the first piece of bread, the first morsel of bread, that person is the esteemed guest at the meal. The guest of honor. The first bit of bread you hand them to. He gives it to Judas. He treats him with so much dignity and love, knowing that he's his enemy. This is what our Lord Jesus says in, in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 5, verse 43 says, You have heard it, that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you, you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do 
not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. Because God loves his enemies. It says at the beginning, again, I'm going back to chapter 13. This is all in the wider chapter of chapter 13. So when I go back to the, the, the beginning of chapter 13, it's, it's understanding the wider context. That's why I'm doing this. And it says at the beginning of chapter 13, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his own to the very end. Jesus loved Judas. He washed his feet. He gave him the seat of honor at the banquet. He gave him the morsel of bread. Why does this matter? Because Romans 5, verse 9, it says that me and you were once enemies of God. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through Jesus' life? We were God's enemies. We did not love God first. He loved us. And it is God's love for his enemies, you and I, who is saved by grace, that we have been reconciled to God. That me and you can sit here today and pray to our Heavenly Father with all confidence. That me and you can sit here today in the name of Jesus and come before him and say, Lord, hear my prayer. Because Jesus done it. Whilst we were his enemies, it says he spilled his blood for us. That those of us that would believe in him shall be saved. That is why John wrote his gospel, no? You and I were like Judas. And it's only by the love of Jesus that we are sat here in his grace. Saved from our sin. This is good news. Finally, I want us to learn from Judas. There's a number of things I think we can learn from Judas, and I'm not going to go through them all today. You know, Judas, he saw all the miracles. He heard all the teachings. He received all the love of Jesus that he could possibly receive. He was loved to the very end. And still, his heart was darkened. And I think this is a challenge for those people that say, well, if only I could see... If only God does this, then I'll believe. If only God, you know. Steve mentioned it earlier, it's about our hearts. And, and, and I, don't, I don't say that, I say that with complete compassion. I know what it's like to doubt. Stand before you, I do know. But John has written this gospel and he's written all of these things down, it says. He's done many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Pray for faith to believe. Pray for faith to believe. I think the main thing I want us to learn from Judas is this. Judas appeared holy. 
You know, nobody in that room, it says, suspected that it was Judas. It says that nobody knew who he was speaking of. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, it says in verse 22. They didn't know. They didn't suspect Judas. Feels like a long time ago now. Remember that story where uh, the, uh, Mary Magdalene pours out the, the expensive perfume and Judas is fuming. He says, we could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. But we know that G Judas used to steal from the money box. And nobody knew. He was a master of disguise. He appeared holy. You, nowhere in the Gospels do you hear of Judas dropping the ball. Up until this point. Simon Peter, he's scoring own goals every week. Alright, he's, he, he's a mess. And we, there is a real contrast between Judas and Simon Peter. Next week we're going to look at Simon Peter. Jesus is at this meal with his mates. He says, one of you is going to betray me. When he goes out of the room, he then has to have a word with Simon Peter and saying, you, you're going to deny me. Before the night's end. But there is a contrast between Judas and Simon Peter. Judas, you never hear that he put a foot wrong. On the outside, to everybody else, he looked good and clean. Simon Peter, on the other hand, absolute mess. But what was the difference? Their heart. Simon Peter had a repentant heart. What can we learn? It's no use us coming here trying to look the part. It's no use us trying to look holy to everybody else. But in the, in, in the depths of our heart, we are not repentant. We do not long for God to forgive us. We do not long for God to change us. We do not recognize in our hearts that we are sinners in need of a savior. You can, you can fool everyone, but you can't fool God. And I, 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 I make an appeal to you, I, I plead with you actually, that like to, to have a repentant heart. You know, I don't stand, I don't, I stand before you as, as a chief repenter, as it were. Like, I, we all need to know this. We don't come here and play the game, you know, like, look all holy and then, you know, tick the box. It's not going to earn you any favor with the Lord Jesus. It's only by his blood. It's only by Jesus' righteousness. Every single one of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It's our Lord Jesus who was righteous. It's our Lord Jesus who died for our sins on the cross. It's why he came, to seek and save the lost. We were lost. Some of us in here are lost. Come to Jesus. Judas, once he leaves that place, he walks into the night. His heart was gone. Jesus is in control. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is Lord. Jesus loves us. He loves his enemies. We see it here with Judas. But we must learn from him. We must be less like Judas and more like Simon Peter. And we must know that our Father wants us to draw near to him, that he can wash us clean. That is the heart of God.
So come near, draw near to him. Not by your own good works, but through Jesus, our Passover lamb. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, would you wash us clean again? Thank you for the blood, Lord. The pure, spotless lamb that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for passing over us. Thank you for your grace. And I pray, Lord, that every single one of us in here would receive that grace this morning. It is to be received. Lord, we cannot earn it. So, Lord, would you melt hearts this morning? Lord, would we be so mesmerized by your love as we see in this text this morning? Jesus, you love those who hated you. Lord, would this compel us to draw near to you this morning? Bless us, we pray. Amen.